Good everyone, welcome back to another episode of Spark Your Fire. It's our good old Friday wrap segment again. And today, guess what? We are mixing up things a little bit. We're back on property, property talks today. So uh, I got my good buddy, John, John Camino. I'm very well, David. Uh, how are you doing there? Yeah, always good. Always good to see you, um, you know, which is, uh, it's, it's been fantastic. The weather's been nice. I think it's getting mm. warmer now. Maybe it's just me, but um you know, it's uh, it feels like it feels like a um, one of those lovely Friday afternoon to be holding a beer, chatting about property. Um, yeah. You know, and um, and I think um, today, you know, we'll jump into um, <laughs> we'll jump into what we call a, a a nine tips about a property investing in regards to you know a, a buy and hold strategy. Okay, so don't ask me why it's nine. I think it's just John and I kind of both scratch, <laughs> scratch our head and go. Right. How many tips can we get together? And we thought of nine. So, uh, you know, that's a stick with it and see how we go. Um, but yeah, before we jump in, I guess, John, uh, what's your definition of a buy and hold investor? Yeah, good good question. Um, so I would say a, a buy and hold investor is someone who's buying for at least 10 years. Uh, now, I reckon that the real estate cycle goes for more like 18 years, mm. um, beginning to end. But let's say 10 years is the minimum amount of time you want to hold an asset to be considered a buy and hold investor. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think I tend to agree with you at least 10 plus years, because that's when you kind of at least, if you're lucky, um, you'll be able to get through potentially two cycles, yep. um, but most of the time, probably one cycle. But that even that upward string swing, like what we saw last year, would have taken quite a big uh, lift. Yeah, and and I think that, that you, you're right to talk about cycles because um, I, I you know one of my early mentors used to he was acquiring property and and I, I would sort of watch in awe and he would say something like, oh yeah, I'm just buying for the next cycle. I'm not going to make my money for a couple of years. I'm buying for the next cycle. And he was buying in Brisbane actually. Uh, interestingly, so yes, very long term thinking. Yes, exactly. And I think that's what we want to preface it with because basically, you know, these tips that we're about to share today are not looking at short term, you know, you're not looking at making gains in short term. And I think it's important to clarify that because, you know, there's multiple ways of making money through property, right? Buy and hold is one of the strategies. And we've kind of gone into, okay, as a buy and hold investor, what are the, some of the tips that we can share as both, you know, when we put our heads together um, in order to help our listeners, uh, you know, inform them, make a better choice in terms of less, next asset. That's the whole idea. All right. Well, in that case, then without any further ado, let's jump in. Um, so first point, it's um, it's not what you buy. Uh, sorry, it's it's what you buy, but not when you buy it. Okay. So in other words, we're looking at the timing of the market. Um, and it's important to basically put the, I mean, personally for me, it's important to actually get the timing equation out. Um, there isn't, back to the old saying of there isn't a good time to buy property. The best time to buy property is always <laughs> yesterday or when you can afford it. Okay. So um, yeah. So basically I would say, you know, put, put, uh, put that time equation out and also uh, it comes down to asset selection as well, which, you know, I'm looking at John and I said, you're your buyer's agent. This is <laughs> right up your alley. Um, so I think, um, yeah, timing and um, uh, timing and essentially uh, the asset selection uh, are one of the key criterias in, in terms of our tips. And um, John, I'll hand it over to you for you to have a further elaborate on that. Yeah, look, it's what you buy, it's not when you buy. And it's this is a really important tip. And the reason it's important is, again, we're talking about buy and hold investors um, who are holding for at least 10 years. Mm. Um, now, this is not to say that timing isn't important. Timing is important. But what we're trying to say, actually, is that you can't control timing. 
So a, a really good investor focuses on what they can control. And the only thing they can't control is, is timing, really, because mm. and, and that's particularly important in real estate. Now, for, for smaller, more liquid assets like the real estate, uh, the, the stock market, you can con- sort of control your timing a little bit more and they're more volatile so you can get in and out. But in big uh, purchases like real estate, the timing is more dependent on where you are in your stage of life and how much money you can borrow than where the, where we are in the property cycle. So you actually need to strike while you have your biggest, your, your greatest borrowing capacity, not where you think we are in the 18-year cycle. And I think that this is, this is what paralyzes people. People are focusing on where we are in this macro cycle, and they ignore all the amazing deals out there. So I would say focus on, focus on the asset, which includes focus, focusing on the location, um, but don't focus on things you can't control, like where are we in the cycle? Because you'll never get that right. The market will always surprise you. And um, and the, the biggest challenge that you're going to have in real estate is securing your finance. And that's going to depend on how old you are and how much money you make. Yeah, not, not really valid points. And I think if I may add, also adding, you know, in terms of timing, for example, like right now, uh, everyone is expecting that the property price is going to go down maybe in the next six mm. to 12 months, right? Um, so a lot of people are kind of sitting on the fence. Uh, but at the same time, um, how do you know? You know, maybe it will come yeah. around a lot quicker um, ultimately. And um, and also another thing that, you know, because of this mentality say, look, why am I going to buy? Why, why would anyone want to buy in the dropping market? And you know that's when a lot that's when a lot of times you need to think to go against the herd because this is actually a great time to be negotiating hard um imagine the sales agent used to have 30 40 plus of people try to bid for property now they're probably down to one or two they try to sell make the sell mm-hmm. as well right so um you know in a, in a declining market it might not necessarily be a bad thing uh, when you try to when you are ready and when you can afford it um yeah, to be picky and take your time and choose a decent asset. So, absolutely. Mm. Cool. All right. Well, let's move on to point two then. Um, another one of those uh, really old, good at age uh, land appreciates and building depreciate. So, I think we've all, we've all, uh, as, as a general 101 rule, we all know that land is the one that grows in value over the long term because land is scarce and they just can't produce more, right? So, whereas building, they can build as many high rise apartments as they like upwards towards the sky. So, that's why there's always saying land is the one that appreciates. And you, when you're making a selection in terms of a property, you want to make sure that you get as much land as possible or as much land component as possible. Uh, in that case, uh, in order to make, ensure that you get the maximum price appreciation in the long run. John, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I think all our listeners would already know this, but we can't do a top 10 or top nine in this case list of uh, property investing tips without touching on one of the biggest uh, principles in real estate, yep. which is that land appreciates and building depreciates. So uh, yeah, look, this is targeting this concept of scarcity. So you need to, you need to be uh, tuned in to, to what can't be, let's say, printed, uh, what, what is fixed and what is unmovable. For example, your location, for example, the size of the, of the property. So look, um, whenever you buy something, uh, there's always a tug of war between uh, the land that's appreciating and the building that's depreciating and whatever the residual is, is going to be your return. Mm. We're going to come to this in the, in the third tip 
but obviously as a principal, you know, you're trying to buy as much land as you can really. And that's that's very true. And also, I think when talking about scarcity, that just reminded me as a, as, a, as an added bonus as well. If you're looking at an asset selection, um, it's worth, worthwhile to pick something that is unique by its own. You know, something that stood out. Maybe that's say, for example, Waterview. You know, a property with a Waterview, um, or you know, a property that can that you can further develop or do something in other words you know you don't want to be just buying into one of the units that's like 300 and 400 into the same complex where your one looks exactly the same as the others how would you stand out right that's that's uh, so it comes back from a scarcity perspective as well so sorry john i think that <laughs> just no, when i thought I, about it i thought you know i'll pick up i'll basically share that as well as um yeah ab- absolutely and you've got to kind of in terms of how you're thinking about what you're buying you, you, you when you buy a house let's say mm. you're buying two things you're buying the land and you're buying the building the land generates your capital growth and the building generates your income so and so you, you kind of think about both of those things yep yep awesome all right well you know, what I mentioned and when I mentioned about the units, that was probably a good segue in terms of our third <laughs> point. Um, buy existing or old uh, versus buying new uh, in, in, in that case. Okay, so I know a lot of, uh, um, a, a lot of people is being uh, attracted to brand new apartments off the plan, that kind of things. Uh, not necessarily just apartments, but, you know, house and land packages as well, for example. Um, but really, uh, those, those new properties, as opposed to old properties, imagine all these people, builders, uh, land developers, they all need to make a margin out of, out of things, right? Like, so who's going to be the one paying it ultimately? It is the person who the buyer or the customer at the end of the day. So, but when you buy an old or an existing property, um, you're buying it as is, Okay. And I think one of the main thing, which also I think a lot of these concepts actually intertwine intertwines with each other, right? So um, is when you buy existing, there's room for further scope or renovation down the track as well. So a lot more that you can do to manufacture equity is the way that I look at it when you're buying existing as opposed to brand new. John, to you. Yeah, so so buy old, um, and the the reason this is important is that when we go out shopping for real estate, we we eat with our eyes, as they say. So we do get seduced by the nice shiny chrome kitchen bench tops and so on. But as but but we're property investors on this podcast today, so um, we're we're trying to make money, and you want to buy old established pieces of real estate. Now the economics behind this is that. There's that tug of war, as I said, the tug of war between the land that's going up and the building that's going down. And what you want to do as an investor is buy a building or a property at the end of its depreciation life. Now, <clears throat> from a tax perspective, that means anything over 40 years. But what happens What happens if you buy something that's older than 40 years, let's say, or if you buy something, let's just call it old, that, that downward pressure on the value of the dwelling has almost disappeared completely. And all you're left with is the appreciation, appreciation of the land and a rental stream, which is exactly what you want. So you've kind of eliminated the adverse part of that tug of war, which is the building that's depreciating, which is why you find that people who buy new and off the plan properties don't make any money out of real estate because they've bought something at the beginning of its depreciation life. You've got 40 years of downward pressure on the, the value of the property. So yeah, buy old. Um, you'll thank me later. 
I'm sure we'll be getting a lot of emails later on, John, after this, don't we? <laughs> now, there, 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 is a, there is a caveat. Right now, uh, old properties aren't that popular because uh, with the, the wave of inflation at the moment, um, the, the thought of renovating um, and the, the uncertainty around what that's going to cost is turning people off renovating and, and cosmetic renovations. But um, And we'll come to that in a moment. But as a, as a rule of economics, you want to buy old properties. Yeah, and I and I like that concept as well because I think from a property investor, especially when you're a buy and hold investor, you want to make sure that you acquire assets that you can add value or manufacture equity down the track. Mm-hmm. We all know that our borrowing capacity is going to get exhausted at some point in time, right? But how do you continue to actually say increase your cash flow, or how do you actually manufacture equity? It comes down to typically existing properties because brand new properties, what else can you do? Um, there's nothing else much that you can do, right? It only depreciates and you know you can't you can't swap the new kitchen for a two-year, brand new two-year apartment, for example. Whereas if it's a 40-year old house, like you're saying, John, um, there's plenty of scope for renovations or cosmetic renovations and that kind of yeah, stuff, yeah. right? In order to be able to manufacture that equity. So even though if you don't, you may not necessarily want to execute it straight away, but you are setting yourself up for future essentially. And I think that's a, that's a key important concept, which I think I learned around probably property three or property four um, as well. You know, when you get to like, when you get to that point, it's like, okay, well, I need to start setting up for the future. When I can't buy more properties, what can I do to these existing properties later on? So, yeah. And look, old properties often have the best uh, position, the best locations uh, mm. in in the suburb uh, because they've been there the longest, and uh, they they often hug the train station or whatever whatever you value. They, they've all already they're the best positions already taken up. Just like the fine wine, right? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, so I think we, we've um, we, we've kind of covered uh, what we discussed uh, as well for point four, which is try to add value through renovation. Uh, now, John, I know you touched it on previously at the moment that it's probably not as attractive due to the rising building costs and, you know, the uncertainty of materials, et cetera, et cetera. But in the long run, I think, you know, once, once these material costs die down a little bit, once the supply issue has been resolved, um, things will go back to normal again. Uh, and like what we've just literally touched on, you know, we think that cosmetic renovation potentially is one of the most effective way to be able to generate equity in an existing home on an older home um, to be able to generate that equity. Uh, or manufacture that equity. So, John, what do you reckon? Yeah, I think we've uh, largely covered this, but a, a yeah. great way to sort of increase the value of something you buy is to buy something that's old and tired and freshen it up in a cosmetic way. Um, you, you tend to get $2 back for every $1 you spend, although that the caveat is, of course, the the, the, the cost and, and the inflation at the moment. But, you know, it's nice to have a, a fresh injection of, equity after you buy something and the best way to do that is to, to renovate now the people who have the capacity to do it themselves make the most money out of this strategy but um uh but look it's 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 partly increasing the value of the property but it's also partly a service to your key customer who was your tenant mm. so it's looking after your tenant and maximizing the rent so it, it's important for a couple of reasons and we'll touch on that uh, in one of the later points as well talking about tenants all right, um, next one, point five, which is a new one to me, actually. John, just uh, you always learn something new every day. The house to unit ratio. So, John, I'm not going to touch. I think you, you're, you're, the, you're, the, you're the owner of this one, so I'll let you explain. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, look, it's, 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 one of, it's a principle of investing that I've talked about for many, many years. But what it's saying is 
Um, th there's a there's a belief out there that buying units is always bad, and that's not true. You can make a, a lot of money investing in units if you buy in the right location and so on. Hmm. Um, what this rule is saying is that if you're going to buy a unit, you need to find a suburb where the 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 ratio between the median house to the median unit is three to one or more. So this is where a suburb where a unit is three times cheaper than a, than a house or conversely, a house is three times more expensive than a unit. Now, in recent the recent years where we've had this big boom, th those suburbs are easy to find because our house prices absolutely boomed and you've got all these suburbs going, the, the, the ratio of houses to units has exploded to like four to one. So in the past, that, that you had to do a lot of diligence to find those suburbs. Right now, it's most suburbs where you know a unit or a house is, is three to, uh, a, a house is three times more expensive than a unit. But it's a very good rule of thumb. So if you if you start to think about you've got a you've got a budget and you want to know you want to deploy that budget somewhere. Now you you pick a suburb that you like, but now you've got to pick what kind of dwelling you're going to buy. This rule will help you decide that. So you really don't want to buy you want to buy a unit in a suburb where the house to house to unit ratio is three to one, but conversely, where it's under that, you want to buy a house. So I'll give you an example. In Vaucluse, the unit, the house to unit ratio is like five to one, right? Vaucluse is a bad example because no one can afford it, but but it's just the principle. We get the point. It's like five to one. So <laughs> yeah. the, the, so in that suburb, you would be you, you should buy a unit as an investor because they're five times cheaper than a the median house. However, in Campbelltown the value of a house is only about 20 to 25% mm. more expensive than a unit. Mm. So in Campbelltown, which is another good area to invest in, you wouldn't buy a unit. There's, there's not enough spread. You would buy a house in Campbelltown. So just be aware of the unit to house ratio and let that dictate what type of dwelling you buy. And, and again, buying apartments is fine, um, but just be aware of that, that ratio. Oh, that, that is a that is a good rule, I guess, to to go by for those people who cannot afford houses and want to look at units, yep. right? That's a yep. good way to kind of filter out suburbs uh, as your initial due diligence mm. based on that. Uh, but certainly, there's a lot more considerations given as well. So um, yeah, no. awesome. Okay, um, next one: avoid hot spotting, buy in tested locations. So. You know, I think it's it's uh, the media is always coming up with some sort of attractive headlines. You know, oh, this is this is going to be the next boom spot, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, what we try to say here is, again, you know, you got to put that speculative mindset aside, and you want to make sure when, as part of your due diligence, you look at what has how has the suburb performed in the past, right? We you want to make sure that you put your money into a true tested location um, for long term growth. And, uh, you know, that's uh, basically, I think the idea here is it's always about controlling risk, right? You want to put yourself, you want to make sure you, this amount of money that you're putting in, you want to make sure that you're putting it into a relatively low risk um, and into a position that you will not lose, essentially. That's the way I interpret. John, what do you reckon? Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. So you, you want, you want um, consistent above average returns for long periods of time that's what you're after and so that's where you all you've got is in a sense history to tell you which of those areas are now there are hot spots they exist the question is can you find what can you find them 
um, without dedicating <laughs> all of your time to it, and then you know quitting quitting your job and, and trying to find these these uh, locations. And the answer is probably no. Yeah. So f- failing that, you, you should buy in areas that give you consistent um, long-term returns over long periods of time that are reliable. Um, now, what this sort of suggests is that over long periods of time, uh, and people will quibble with this and probably disagree with me, but um, this is where sort of capital city investing, in my opinion, is is better than regional investing. Um, o- although I, th- I think... There's an argument to make, be made that I'm not I'm not right on that, but um, I like um, boring capital city investing in inner ring suburbs uh, that have always generated re- results. Now, regional investing can work. The question is which regional town, and and that's where the you know regional is too broad a term. It's like yeah. well, which which town are you actually talking about? And then finding the town becomes becomes the challenge. And unless you're going to dedicate all this time or, or pay someone to do it for you, that's where you, you know, focus on the capitals. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think, and, and, and also just with the regionals, you know, you also got to think about um, how, how many industries uh, is actually working there, employment, because ultimately, and, and ultimately what is attracting people to move into this regional area? And is it a long is it going to be a longer trend or is it just a short-term influx of people due to potentially just lifestyle? And as what we're seeing now, John, you know, rightly to what you're saying, a lot of people have now been called back into office and a lot more than before. Um, so the working from home phenomenon is starting to kind of fade out a little bit. There's, you know, as far as I can gather, the uh, the, the the apartments around the city, Sydney CBD area at the moment is, is just going crazy. Like this rents, people right. competing very, very high for rents, especially with international students coming back as well. Um, mm. You know, so the common areas like Mascot, um, Walleye Creek, that kind of high density areas, those yeah, people are struggling to actually find a, a unit because they, you know, they, they want to be close. They want to be back close right. to where they need to commute again. So, you know, so I think that, um, that, you know, and, you know, people hotspot to think that the regional area is going to go on forever may not necessarily be true. It always goes in cycles, essentially. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. cool. All right. Um, point number seven, um, start early and focus on capital growth. So I think this is, uh, again, one of those uh, one of those really, really good ones. Um, okay. So in the last few years, because of low interest rates, um, there's been a lot of people focusing on positive cash flow properties. Um, okay, so in other words, what that means is uh, the rent will be able to cover basically everything, all outgoing, including mortgages, council rate, water rate, insurances, etc. You name it. Okay, um, and you still got money back in your pocket. Now that's due to the interest rate being so low, maybe around two to three percent. Okay, the times unfortunately now behind us, we are now whacked with the reality of back to about four percent, five percent interest rate, and this is probably going to be the normal. This is going to be the normal. Okay, which means all of a sudden. Um, the cash flow positive properties are disappearing fast. So, you know, so what do you look for and what do you want to look for uh, in the long run? In this case, uh, John, if I put that to you, what should you be looking for? <laughs> so the, the point, yes. So what should you, I'll come to that in a second. But sure, the point of the, point of the uh, focus on capital growth and even start early is just a cheeky insertion there, but uh, focusing on capital growth um, is saying that cash flow will keep you in the game, but ca- yep. uh, but capital growth is what's going to get you, make you rich. And if you think if if I take your mind, cast your minds back, uh, listeners, 
to a, a bygone era, 2021, um, <laughs> just so, so far ago, uh, far away. But pro- property prices went up by 20%. They're, they're retracing, obviously. But yeah. the, the point is that if you owned a million-dollar property, in one year you had made uh, $200,000 of capital gains. Now, that's going to change your life. Now, if you're, let's say your rent doubled, um, you're getting another $500 a month of spending money. It's not going to make a difference. The capital growth is what's going to change your life. So focusing on focusing on that is 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 the important thing. Um, that doesn't mean income is unimportant. Of course, it, of course it is, and it's more important now that that's a, a bigger lending criteria actually. So it's going to help you sort of uh, acquire more properties, but it's not going to make you rich. Yeah. So yep. what do you do to focus on that? You buy properties with the attributes that we've talked about in this um, in this podcast already, which is you, you want to buy as much land as you can. Um, you want to buy older dwellings where there's uh, uh, already depreciated properties. Um, you want to be able to add value um, to the property. You want to convert a dining room to a bedroom and all those sorts of things. Um, but you want to focus on land and, and that ultimately will be what... Um, yeah, what makes you rich? It's the growth. Yeah, the land component, isn't it, um, mm. in terms of the land appreciation? So, yeah, not totally agree, mate. I think that's uh, uh, definitely and, – and start early as well. I think uh, yeah. that's one of the things, right? Like start as early as you can, um, as you can afford it. Um, you know, it's uh, it's probably different to uh, – the new generations probably think slightly differently to how we, how we used to think when we were around the 20s mm. uh, at that point in time. But having said that, you know, you, you still see some young people that uh, are pretty interested in property and want to uh, want to accumulate at early stages. And the best advice we can give them is, yeah, try to go for it. You know, there's nothing to lose at your young age and uh, focus on good capital growth properties with yeah. decent land components. So, yeah. And just just to be clear, again, apartments can have significant land if they're, own, if they're low rise, yeah. if, if uh, you know, if they're in good locations, of course, small blocks have a land component as well and you want to target those. Awesome. All right. So uh, let's have a look at point eight. Uh, Don't fidget, leave it alone. So (laughs) I think that's one of those uh, principles. I find it it interesting, especially when uh, people's got properties, they always want to do something with the property, right? Whether that's renovating, whether that's selling it or, you know, it's just... I think John and I were just basically having a bit of a chuckle before and say, just, just bloody leave it alone, mate. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's going to do its job. Um, but yeah, from a buy and hold investor perspective, you know, patience is when you create wealth as well. In, in my personal opinion, you've got to be patient um, and you've got to let, you got to let time does its magic because essentially that's, uh, you know, the, the compound growth, like we said, uh, typically does not happen until year 10 plus onwards right? It's when it doubles and doubles again. That's essentially when the real compounding magic really works. So, um, and whilst, you know, while the property, while residential property is not a true passive investment, you still need to kind of manage it. And there's always going to be issues and repairs and maintenance, etc. Try not to sell that when you get a bit of gain is what we're trying to see. What I'm trying to say here, <laughs> John, don't what do you pan- reckon? Yeah. Don't, don't panic when you make losses yeah. either, uh, because, yeah. Um, it, it, it's a wonderful inflation hedge over long periods of time. So there's, uh, there's always inflation, which is when the money supply or currency supply gets expanded. And uh, sometimes that inflation is going into the consumer prices, which would be your rent, or it sometimes is going into asset prices, which would be 
the value of the property. So yeah, don't don't fidget. Like it's um it's a get rich slow scheme. Um it's uh it's it's kind of always working to your advantage if we live in a kind of a world with inflation and uh you've just got to let it marinate. You just got to let it mature. Um and and I think this sort of can tie into sort of how are you financing the property, but there's always, I think um, what we're learning at the moment is there's always a case for principal and interest repayments. So if your property isn't doing anything in particular for a, a year or two, but you're paying away, paying off principal, I think that's a, it's a great way to manage your asset or manage the finance on the asset. So mm-hmm. yeah, leave it, leave it alone. I see, I see people all the time who just get impatient with it. And if, and if, if you feel like you're going to get impatient, maybe real estate's not for you, but um, uh, but be sure that over long periods of time, real estate does what real estate always does, which is, you know, grow, uh, hedge you against inflation. And one thing that, to, to note uh, is that when we talk about, I should have mentioned this when we we're talking about capital growth. Um, if you buy a growth-oriented property, what you're also buying is a growing income stream. So you got to let the rents go up as well. And that takes time. That's even more frustrating and, and mm. slow, but, um, but rents go up as well. Well, what we're seeing now is rent is indeed going up, yeah. right? Like it's, it's going up crazy. It's skyrocketing yeah. basically at the moment across all of Australia. Just we've never yeah. seen this vacancy this low um, and with, um, yeah, with foreign investors. So, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of people has been sitting on very very low rental growth, but now yeah, we're we're, we're starting to see that coming in. So uh, that's happy news for everyone, basically. Yeah, yeah. And, for landlords. And look, right? don't 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 um don't ignore your rental income growth because uh, we we fixate on where the property property quote is going up or down, while our rents are going up at twenty percent, and we're disappointed in the returns. So <laughs> the price of the va- the value of the property is not the only game in town. It's the it's the rent as well. Absolutely. And talking about the rent, I think that brings us to the last point or last tip. Uh, the tenant is your customer. Um, so to a degree, you know, it's, uh, you're, you're providing a dwelling for, for, for your tenant to live in. And in, in return, they are paying you a rent, an agreeable rent. So it's important because, I mean, they are helping you to pay your mortgage. It's important to also make sure that you look after them um, in the long run. And I have to say, a good tenant is really, really hard to come by at the moment. So if you actually do get a really good tenant that looks after your place, keep your one immaculate, I, you know, luckily I think I haven't had that much of a tenant issue so far. I mean, I had a few of my Logan ones, but uh, most of the other ones are okay. You know, they've been, they've been looking after the place. So I'm, I, I consider myself very, very fortunate. And as a little gesture, you know, maybe as a tip as well, um, you know, towards Christmas, send them a, a small box of chocolate or something as a, as a, as a mm. gift or appreciation. So that way, you know, thank you for looking after my property so well. Um, this is a small gift, gift uh, you know, a small gesture of gift and that will keep the tenant pretty happy and they'll be more than happy to willing to stay on as well. So, you know, keep a, whilst you're not directly communicating with the tenant directly, but at least don't forget their people as well, just like us at the end of the day. Yeah. So yes. John, what do you reckon? Oh, look, you said it brilliantly. I mean, it's treat it like a business and treat your tenant like a customer, and um, and that means you know part part of how I view this is that you know when they say um, when something breaks or or the 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 property becomes tired over time and things wear out and you need mm-hmm. to fix things, um, it's not just for the tenant that you would repair these things; it's for you as well. Like you're maintaining your asset, but um, but treat yeah treat the um, treat the tenant like they're your customer and treat 
the property like it's your business. Um, look after it. Look after the, the look after the tenants. They are people. Um, they want to be look. A good tenant is house proud, and that's that's what you want. And um, the returns it'll pay off uh, if you do that. Also, the worst the worst part of property investing is tenant vacancy. That's what I've I've kind of found. It's Indeed. It's when you have to go to market and find a new tenant and it's vacant for a couple of weeks and all that. And it, it takes, then you've got the leasing fees and so on. So look after the tenant. Yep. Encourage exactly. them to stay. Oh, 100%. And I think, you know, in uh, with, with the rising rents at the moment, I'll also just chuck in that it's uh, it's worthwhile to do a rent review if you haven't been in touch mm. with your property managers at the moment, just to make sure, you know, especially when you've got a mortgage as well with the rising interest rates, you want to make sure that your rent is on uh, on the market value, um, yeah. and you know, typically we're seeing at least a twenty to thirty dollar increase, pretty much warranted, uh, at a minimum. Some goes up to ninety, hundred dollars even, right? So that could make quite a big difference in terms of your covering your mortgage and the interest repayments as well. So if you haven't jumped onto it, make sure that you uh, reach out to your property manager as soon as you can. All right, John. Well, that's nine points, nine tips. Any anything else you'd like to add? No, no, um, and enjoy the ride. Like property investing is fun. Uh, and just, yeah, you just got to be patient. It's a journey as well, right? Like everything, just like life, essentially. So, <laughs> no, very good, very good. Thank you, John. Thanks for sharing your wisdom with uh, with our audiences away, as always, right? But, uh, and I always enjoy these chats as well. So uh, I, hope, I hope our listeners do too. All right. So um, again, uh, this is not financial advice, you know, and not investment advice. Please do your own due diligence uh, before making any financial investment decisions. Um, but um, yeah, I hope uh, everyone's have a good week. And um, you know, don't don't get too panicked with all the rate rises. Is, is the other thing that I say. You know, it's it's not going to be the end of the world. Make sure you do your own budgeting. Uh, make sure you save as much as you can. I think in the next six months, obviously, everyone's going to have to tighten their belts to a degree. Uh, but just like everything else, this will be over as well and things will go back to normal. So, uh, all right, until next week, stay safe and uh, we'll see you again in another episode of Spark Your Fire. John and David.